Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. It was all the fault of the accident. It was the bump on her head that caused her to be different. But to her therapist, this young lady chuckled and said, no, it had nothing to do with it. She explained that when she had no memories of her past, she said, you know, it was absolutely a a wonderful opportunity to ask myself about what kind of life do I want to live when I start living life again. It was a pause, she said, a pause from ordinary life. And during that pause, she explained, I took a good, long look at the life that I was living. She described it as like being able to tear down a house to its foundations and then rebuild a house the way you wanted to rebuild it. And she said when she got healthy again, she pushed the reset button on life, and she said the life I started living It was better than I dared ever to imagine. In starting over the way she wanted to live, she said, I became more grateful, more joyful, and more happy than I have ever been before. And I don't know about you, but that has a certain appeal. This past year and a half came to us as an unexpected and unwanted pause in the ordinary routines of our life. Now, I know that it's true for a lot of us. Life was busier and life was more difficult in the last year and a half than we wanted it to be. But for every single one of us, ordinary life was on pause. Now, like it or not, we're about to hit the reset button. And wouldn't it be wise of us to ask, What kind of life do we want to live? I don't mean as individuals only, but I also mean as a church. Wouldn't it be good for us as a church to ask, as we start to get back to normal, wouldn't it be good to ask, who do we want to be? Who do we want to be? Today, we're actually starting a series in which I want to give us all the opportunity to ask that question as we push the reset button in life. Who do we want to be? What kind of life do we want to start living? Over the next couple of weeks, I hope to give all of us the opportunity to ask that question of ourselves individually. What kind of life do I want to live? But it's also a question we're going to ask for ourselves, for all of us together as a church. And that's where we're going to start this morning. Now, to start this process of asking who do we want to be, we're actually going to go back to birth. Because I think it would be good for us to ask, who were we born to be? Before we get derailed into demands of everybody else trying to tell us who we should be, I think we should ask, who were we born to be? And the story of the birth of the church is in Acts chapter 2, where we're going to look in just a couple minutes. Acts, if you don't know this, Acts tells the story of the first generation of the followers of Jesus Christ who became the church. So, of course, if it tells the story of the first generation of the church, it's going to start with our birth. So that's what we're going to read. Acts chapter 2, 
I'm going to read the first 17 verses, and admittedly, I'm stopping right at the beginning of a sermon that Peter preaches that really gets the church started. But we're going to read Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1. So on the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven like a roaring like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared, and it settled on each of them, and everyone present was filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Now, at that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. And when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people, they're all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here we are, we're Parthians, we're Medes, we're Elamites, we're people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the areas around Libya, around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, and we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things that God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What does this mean? They asked each other. Now, there were some others in the crowd who ridiculed them, saying, they're just drunk, that's all. Then Peter stepped forward with the 11 other apostles, and he shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews, residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you think. It's nine o'clock in the morning for Pete's sake, much too early for that. No, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Now it goes on, and Peter speaks for a while. It's worth reading if you get a chance this afternoon. It's worth finishing chapter two and reading. But we're going to stop right there. Now, to be honest with you, um, you may not need to know what I'm about to tell you, but frankly, I couldn't help myself. So let me give you a little bit of history about what you were reading. If you would go home and if you would Google the word Pentecost, that's where this, this is occurring at the celebration of Pentecost. If you Google the word Pentecost, you're going to discover that the word Pentecost actually means a different thing to Jewish people than it means to Christian people. Pentecost actually started out as a Jewish holiday. Still is, by the way. It's still a Jewish holiday, although it typically doesn't call, get, get called Pentecost today. Started out as a Jewish holiday, which explains why these 120 followers of Jesus, uh, that's how many there were in this room. That's all there were in the whole wide world. Roughly 120 Jewish followers of a Jewish Messiah who were celebrating a Jewish holiday in the city, Jewish city of Jerusalem. They were there to celebrate a Jewish holiday called Pentecost. Now, it gets a little bit confusing because Pentecost is actually a Greek word. It's not a Hebrew word, but back in the day, almost all the Jews also spoke Greek in addition to speaking Hebrew. So they used the Greek word called Pentecost 
to talk about the holiday. And the word Pentecost literally means 50th, um, which some of you can actually probably recognize the word pente, pente in that word, meaning five. It's a word that means 50th. Pentecost, the Jewish holiday, Pentecost was one of three, still is, I shouldn't keep saying was, it's, it's one of three Jewish holidays that are called pilgrimage holidays, and that means that um, if you could, no matter where you lived around the world, the hope always was that on one of these three pilgrimage holidays, you would at least once in your lifetime, and hopefully more times in your life, you would make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem from anywhere around the world, and you'd celebrate the holiday in Jerusalem where it was intended to be celebrated. And that's why that explains why these Jewish people who spoke all kinds of languages from all around the known world, it explains why they all happen to be in town on this particular occasion. That's important to this story in understanding that the city of Jerusalem was filled with people from all over the known world speaking all kinds of languages. Now, the reason for the name Pentecost, which means 50th, is this celebration, this holiday, was celebrated seven weeks and one day, that's 50, seven weeks and one day after Passover. Now, Passover was also a pilgrimage festival. And you may remember, not that long ago, 50 days ago, the Jewish people, even today, we're starting the Passover celebration, and you may remember that for us as followers of Jesus, we were here celebrating Easter, the crucifixion, and then the resurrection of Jesus. But back in the day, many, many Jews from around the world would have traveled to Jerusalem to start Passover, but they would have remained there for 50 days for the second pilgrimage festival, the, pilgr the celebration of Passover, they would have remained in town, and then after this celebration, they likely would have gone home. That's what was happening history-wise for the Jews. Now, for us, for Christians, we use the same word. We use Pentecost. And if you look at Google, Google will tell you that in the church among Christians, Pentecost is celebrating the birthday of the church. Because in this room where there were 120 roughly Jewish followers of Jesus, Jewish followers of a Jewish Messiah, something happened in this room that absolutely changed the world and gave birth to the church. Before this day, before the day that's described in Acts chapter 2, there's just a tiny handful of believers, roughly 120 followers of Jesus that were gathered in this room. I guarantee you, I guarantee you that before this day, there was nothing, there was nothing that would have made them as a group of followers of Jesus that would have made them survive. Jesus was gone. And when he left, Jesus told them, stay in Jerusalem and wait. That's what he told them. Stay in Jerusalem and wait. There was nothing about this group of people, nothing at all that would have explained the extraordinary thing that happened, nothing that would have made them survive. I guarantee they would have died out like any number of sects of Judaism that died out before this day. But after this day, this small group, 120 Jewish followers of a Jewish Messiah, after this day, they were empowered to change the world. And the world has never seen anything like what happened after that day. And that's what happened on Pentecost. The world changed because a small group of Jewish followers of a Jewish Messiah changed. So let's talk about the birth of the church, and what we were born to be. The best way to get out this question is to ask, 
Well, what do we today have in common with this group of people that got started on this day? What do we share today that this group of people shared back in the day? Well, on the day that the church was born, they did not have almost everything that we have today as a church. Back on this day, they did not have church buildings. They didn't have kitchens. They didn't have church signs out in their lawn. They didn't have soup kitchens. They didn't have youth groups. They didn't have cafes. They didn't have padded seats. They didn't have Sunday schools. They didn't have youth groups. They didn't have worship bands. They didn't have projectors or sound systems. They didn't have clean teams. They didn't have bulletins. They didn't have greeters. They didn't have missionaries. They didn't have leadership teams. They didn't have the Stephen ministry. They didn't have church vans. They didn't give out free coffee when you arrived. They didn't have donuts. They didn't have secretaries. They didn't have parking lots. They didn't have welcome centers. They didn't even have church names. Almost everything that we have today, they lack. So what did they have in common with what we have today? They had people, of course, but just about every group, every religious group has people. So having people doesn't make us any different. We're no better, we're no worse than any other group of people. They had the scripture, of course, but on this day, they shared the exact same scripture as followers of Jesus that the Jewish people had. In fact, when Peter stood up to read scripture, Peter's reading from a prophet Joel, a Jewish prophet. And 2,000 years later, you and I as Christians can read from the exact same prophet Joel that the Jewish people read from. So I don't think that it's scripture that sets us apart from any other group of people. It's this... On this day, Jewish followers of Jesus were filled with the Spirit of God. They were filled with the Spirit of Jesus. They were empowered to be the church. And before the 50th day, the church did not exist. And after the 50th day, it did. And nothing has ever been the same since. So, let me tell you about the Spirit of God, who this Spirit is that has empowered the church and brought it into being. If the story of the history of the universe would have a title page, then God's Spirit was there on the title page. According to the very first pages of the Bible, when God spoke creation into being, it was God's Spirit that actually went to work in creation. In the second sentence of the Bible, it was God's spirit that was hovering over the chaotic, disordered universe. It was God's spirit that was bringing everything into being and order and purpose as God was speaking. And later in the story of creation, when God formed a man and a woman, God breathed into his creatures and breathed is the activity of God's Spirit. It was God's Spirit that actually gave life to these human creatures. Now, since we're talking about this very, very ancient part of the Hebrew Bible, let me tell you something a little bit fun about the Spirit and the Hebrew word for Spirit. By the way, this is true in the Old Testament Hebrew as well as the New Testament Greek. In both parts of the Bible, the word for spirit is exactly the same as the word wind or the word breath 
exactly the same in Greek and in Hebrew. But the Old Testament word, this ancient word for spirit, is a very fun word to say. At least it was pre-COVID. Now it's a little bit dangerous to say because it's a word that has two gutturals. It starts with a guttural and it ends with a guttural. You know what a guttural is? Yeah, a guttural is a combination of letters that you have to say deep in your throat with a kind of throaty growl. If we would take English letters and spell with English letters the Hebrew word for spirit, it's R-U-A and then C-H. C-H is a combination of letters. And you say that word deep down in your throat, and it sounds like ruach. That's what it sounds like. It's one of those words when you say it, when you say it, you actually hear what it is. When you say the word, you hear wind. You hear breath. Ruach. You hear it, right? It's no wonder, by the way, Dr. Fauci banned this word back in the early days of COVID. Ruach. That's what it sounds like. And God, through his ruach, gave life. It's God's spirit that empowers life. His breath gives life. There's an old, old Hebrew book in our Bible named for the prophet Ezekiel, And there's a wonderful story about this in Ezekiel chapter 37. The prophet Ezekiel has a vision, and in this vision he is taken to a valley full of dry bones. Bones are scattered everywhere, dry, brittle, lifeless bones. Now later on, by the way, Ezekiel will learn that these bones represent the people of God who have wandered far away from God and have become lifeless. But in this vision, Ezekiel standing in this valley of dry, brittle bones, Ezekiel is asked a question by God. God says, Ezekiel, can these bones live? And Ezekiel answers like any of us would answer, suspecting it to be a trick question. Ezekiel says, I don't know, God, but you do. And God says to Ezekiel, speak, Ezekiel, speak, Come breath, come ruach of God, come spirit of God, breathe into these dead bodies that they may live again. And Ezekiel wrote down, and so I spoke, I spoke, and I said, breath, spirit of God, fill these bones and give them life. And they came to life and they stood a great army of God. And Ezekiel, just like the prophet Joel, and just like a long line of prophets in the Old Testament, the prophet Joel that Peter quoted, Ezekiel became just one more in a long line of prophets who had this dream that someday, someday, God would pour out his breath and God would bring life to his people and God would give his people life. And on the 50th day, he did. On the 50th day, he did, and nothing has ever been the same since. Now, let me give you a couple more details about this 50th day and what it means. Whoever it was who told Luke this story 
Um, and Luke is the author, by the way, the same Luke that wrote the gospel. Luke's the author, but he wasn't part of the story yet. He wasn't there. He wasn't an eyewitness. Whoever it was who told Luke this story, whoever it was said, Luke, we are in this room, and we heard a sound like a mighty wind, and we saw what looked like tongues of fire, sounded like wind, looked like fire, but it, doesn't, it wasn't actually wind and it wasn't actually fire. They didn't have to hold down the paper plates and nobody's eyebrows got singed. Sounded like wind, looked like fire, but it wasn't. It was the Spirit of God. But whoever it was who told Luke this story said there was one thing that it was. One thing that was real. People from all over the known world heard their own languages being spoken by these Galilean Jews. Now understand, this is important. This was not a miracle of hearing. It's not like Peter and the apostles were speaking gibberish. It's not like they were speaking Hebrew and God's spirit caused people to hear their own languages. It wasn't a miracle of hearing. It was a miracle of speaking. God's spirit caused these Galilean Jews to speak dozens of different languages. That's what the Bible clearly says in verse 4. By the power of God's Spirit, they spoke in other languages. And this is why this is so important for us to understand. In the history of human beings, generations and generations earlier, before this episode, there's an episode in our Bibles known as the, the Tower of Babel. And human beings at the Tower of Babel began speaking in other languages. And when they began to speak in other languages, they scattered. Slowly and globally, they scattered and they clustered in little groups. And at the Tower of Babel, we became tribal and we clustered. We began to become suspicious of each other, and we started to think that our tribe is best. And we started to think that everybody else's tribe is just a bunch of savages, and we went to war with one another. And we're still very much that way today, aren't we? Israel and Hamas, Irish and English, Turks and Armenians, Mongols and Kazakhs, Bosnians and Serbs, Germans and Jews, cowboys and Indians, blacks and whites, Democrats and Republicans, Catholics and Protestants, Starbucks and Duncan, <laughs> people who love mountains and pagans. But on this day, on the 50th day, God said, I will pour out my spirit on all people. On all people. And people from every part of the known world 
heard the gospel being spoken in their own language. And what was once scattered, God began to gather again. And what was once confused became understood again because of the power of God. And that has always been God's plan. Always. Always. Ever since the moment God spoke to an old nomad named Abraham and said to him, Abraham, through you I will bless all nations. All nations. Then the greatest prophet of Israel, the greatest prophet of Israel who ever lived, speaking of a future that he didn't know when it was going to come to be and he didn't know how distant it was and he didn't understand it, but through the prophet Isaiah, God said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. And then came the Jewish Messiah who spoke a line that most of us don't even have to look up. We know it by heart when this man said, for God loved the world. That has always been God's dream. And this is so important for you and me. It is so important for who we are born to be. The power of God's Spirit intends to penetrate the world, but it's only going to be released through the church, through devoted followers of Jesus, through us. That's who we were born to be. We were born to gather and not cluster we were born to live in community, not because we are better people or worse people. We're not. We're not exceptional people. We're not losers. We're not winners. Who we are is empowered people. Empowered to gather people to Jesus. And who we're born to be, we can only be through the power of God's Spirit still at work in the church. Really sorry about starting that donut on fire a little bit earlier. No, let's hope and pray that one of our neighbors is okay. You know, in the early days of our marriage, um, in the days of poverty, Don and I bought an old beat-up orange VW Rabbit Anybody else have a VW Rabbit back in the day? You know, I brought it home, bought it used, brought it home. The next day I showed my dad the car I just purchased. My dad looked at the car. He lifted up the floor mat and he said to me, do you know that your car has a hole in it the size of a football in the floor? And I looked and it was true, it did. Kind of like that old Flintstone mobile. <laughs> I could have powered the car by running. I took an old chock full of nuts coffee can, cut it, flattened it, riveted it in, and that became the floor. But one morning, that VW rabbit wouldn't start. And I tried jumping it, checked all the fuses. I did everything I knew how to do, and it wouldn't start. I ran out of options, so I called the mechanic who lived a mile or so away. And I said, my car won't start. It's not the battery. It doesn't turn over. It doesn't do anything. And he said, well, bring it on in and I'll take a look. <laughs> Obviously, you see the problem. 
I knew what I was supposed to do. I just didn't have the power. You know, I think the whole world knows what it's supposed to do. What it doesn't have is the power. For those of us of a certain age, we know that John Lennon knew what he was supposed to do. He wrote a song about it. Imagine all the people living life in peace. Imagine no need for greed or hunger, a brotherhood of man. John Lennon knew what he was supposed to do. He could imagine it. But he couldn't even make it work with his closest friends. Even with his closest friends, he couldn't manage to live in peace. A brotherhood of four couldn't even hold together, much less a brotherhood of man. He knew what to do. He just didn't have the power. Coca-Cola knew what they were supposed to do back in the day. People of a certain age will remember very well a picture of a group of long-haired, bell-bottomed people standing on a hillside with Cokes in their hands. You could probably sing it. Like to build the world a home and furnish it with love. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. I'd like to see the world for once all standing hand in hand. Who doesn't want that? The end to fear, the end to clustering, the end to hate, the end to war, the end to locked doors, the end to anxiety, the end to divorce, the end to cameras on our front porch to watch our Amazon packages. Who doesn't want that? Coca-Cola knew what they needed to do, but all they had to offer was a caramel-colored sugary drink. What they didn't have was power. To do what every human being knows needs to be done, we actually have to become a different kind of people. To overcome our fear, we have to become people who want to and who are empowered to be courageous. To stop being anxious, we will have to become people who want to and who are empowered to be people of faith. To stop being bitter, we will have to be people who will become, who will want to become, and who are empowered to forgive. To quit being angry, we will have to become people who want to and who are empowered to be patient. To quit our endless clustering, we will have to become people who want to and people who are empowered to love. Now, the church as an institution is not capable of giving power to anyone. If we depend on the power of the institution, history has pretty much proven we are like everyone else. 
We will sing about amazing grace. But our institutional history of bullying and racism and clustering has proven that we have no power as an institution. But there is power in Jesus. There is power in Jesus. When was the last time you prayed a very simple prayer? Spirit, would you fill me with power? When was the last time you prayed, Spirit, fill this place with your power in the same way a place was filled on the day a church was born? You know, over the last year and a half, there are plenty of times when I could not wait to get back to normal, but I don't want normal anymore. I want what we were born to be. I want to know the power of Jesus. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge you to do the same. For the next week, as we get started on this great reset, would you pray every day a very simple prayer? Would you pray that God's Spirit would fill this place? Would you pray that God's Spirit would fill you and empower you? Would you pray that? It's actually a very scary thing to pray. Because what if God listens? What if we actually prayed, God, fill me with your power? And he actually did. What if we became less fearful people? What if we became less anxious people? What if our bitterness actually left us? What if our anger was a thing of the past? What if we actually loved and clustered less? This is what the church has prayed for generations when we pray like Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come. And may your will be done on this earth, among us, just as it is in heaven. So would you spend a week praying that God would fill this place and that God would fill you and that God would fill me with the spirit of Jesus? And to start, I will pray that right now. Our Father, we, well, I don't want normal anymore. I want what we were born to be. I don't want a shepherd, just an institution, God. I want to be part of your people, empowered by your spirit to do what you ordained us to be. God, you fill this place with your spirit. 
Would you fill me and empower me with your spirit? And when you fill and would you empower us to be your people? And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.